0: It's Tom you here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Alzbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing
1: podcasts. Yeah, getting in shape, that was like one of my escapes like as a kid. That was like the thing that I did to like make myself feel significant. I mean, initially Mm. I started working out because I didn't, I mean, I wanted to be able to like kick people's asses who were talking shit to me, making me feel like shit. And legitimately I started going to the gym like once a week in eighth grade. And I go in there and just like, look at, you know what the other guys and they were doing, I would do it. And then like for someone like me that had a lot of like, and again, at the time there's not an awareness of this, but Mm. like I was an angry kid. I was a sad kid. I was the type of kid who wouldn't look you in the eye when we spoke because I didn't have any confidence. But like when I started working out and started like build my body, I started to like develop confidence and develop Mm. like all these other like positive things. And, you know, obviously taking it with me. And uh, this is something that I've heavily prioritized. And I, I, I truly believe that like fitness, we're talking about fitness, we're talking about like, you know, working out and the diet, like more importantly, I firmly believe that. You know, our quality of life is in direct proportion to the quality of the food that we put in our mouth. And we know objectively that we are a byproduct of and, you know, the way we think our standards are a byproduct of the people we surround ourselves with. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I, and when I honestly, you start getting on to that, though, because if you're a kid,
0: you're angry, you're pissed, you're not looking people in the eye, you start mm-hmm. lifting. I'm guessing that that doesn't come from a place of a realization about diet and shit. Yeah. It just comes from I want to be able to punch someone in the fucking mouth. Yeah. Walk me through that. That to me is interesting. So you and I responded to. I I won't definitely was not an angry kid. I had a very now looking back is very obvious that I had a wonderful and very yeah, easy childhood. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was physically insecure mm-hmm. in that there were people that were bigger than me and I could tell that they were, they could manhandle me if they wanted to. And so I had to be very cognizant and I think guys are far more aware of this than girls. Mm-hmm. Like in every exchange that you have, even as a fucking adult, yeah. you know, somewhere in the back of your mind, like is this could escalate now it probably won't because right. of society and all that, but it could. Yeah. And when you're a kid, it sometimes does. Yeah. And so you went and got stronger. And I sometimes wish that had been my response. My response was to get funny. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that verbal ability is the cornerstone of my success. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I'm very grateful for that. But also in some ways for the male mind, that's still a fragile way to deal with things. Mm -hmm. And when I started lifting, it was partly response to that. I would literally look at my wife Mm -hmm. and imagine her being raped. And I thought, imagine being a guy that couldn't stop that from happening. And that because I don't enjoy working out, that was the only way for me to like push through it. And I know people think that's really fucking dark. And it is. I get it. No, I get it. But at some point, you have to do something like whatever, whatever the it need takes. is you yeah. need, right? Whatever it fucking yeah. takes. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm in the gym. I do not like it. Aesthetics was not enough to get me motivated. Mm-hmm. Longevity was not enough to get me motivated. It is today, but it, it was not right. in my 20s. So I had to put myself in this place of imagine the feeling you would have because when it's just me, I don't know, it's, it's not as motivating. But to imagine that someone were trying to hurt my wife and me not be able to stop it like mm-hmm. that was the motivation when I was at my biggest. Mm-hmm. I used that every fucking day.
1: I get it, man. I get it. So my childhood was anything but traditional. Um, my mother had me when she was 16. All right. She had a lot of problems. She was a drug addict my dad actually took off before I was even born. So like he wasn't around Um, just because of the person and where my mother was at that time. Um, You know, I was taken out of her care multiple times early on, spent some time in foster care group homes, ultimately, you know, just got pulled from her altogether. So bouncing around like that, not having a father figure and just, you know, being in the situation that I was uh, exposed to, like you develop certain traits and tendencies and patterns and you think a certain way and again like that was like the majority of my childhood i was like, that what very, is that way like what is it doing to you and how much awareness did you zero, have at the time zero of course app zero i mean when it so people sometimes you know throughout like my uh i was at the, at the age of 20 25 26 that's when i started to like change my story and and stop like feeling sorry for myself mm. and thinking that because of what happened i used to think that because mm. of all the things that I was uh, exposed to, whether it was my childhood, the fact, I mean, I was arrested 17 times prior to my 18th birthday. That's
0: crazy.
1: I mean, I was arrested another half dozen or so (laughs) times after my 18th birthday, but like I used to think that those factors and I mean, that would prevent me from ever being something that was important or significant or Mm -hmm. being someone that actually fucking mattered. So, you know, I changed that story around 25, 26. But again, like, you know, when you're a kid and you're coming up, like, just looking back on it, like there wasn't an awareness, like understanding that I didn't have what I saw some friends of mine having. I didn't have like the, the dinner at the table with the family. It was always very awkward for me if I was in a situation like that, because I didn't really know quite how to act. And again, like that might sound very silly to somebody, but at the time it was a, it, it was a real thing. And it just, it, it, I always felt out of place in situations like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know what it feels like Tom to, be in a position where you know you're being made fun of all the time because you're wearing the same clothes same dirty clothes and mm-hmm. I also know what it feels like to have to steal dirty clothes out of a lost amount in school just so I had something new to wear and again like in my mind at the time I thought that by getting in shape going in the gym that could at least I'd have that at least I you know I, I could look physically better I, I suppose and maybe start getting uh, uh, respect or, you know, maybe have people look at me differently and not look down on me, which again, I felt was the case. I think in a lot of ways it may have been the case, but I definitely don't think it was as profound as, I mean, when that's all you're thinking about, I mean, it's, that's what your reality is going to be. And again, like at the time, um, I just, I, I knew that, uh, I, I was, I was an angry kid. And again, when I started to get older into in my teens and high school, like now I kind of have like a An outlet where I could go out and I could show my ass and I could do really stupid shit and get in trouble, get arrested, and gain significance. I could get. Was there something cool
0: about being the kid that wasn't afraid? One thousand percent.
1: I I mean, it's not fucking cool. It's actually the stupidest thing. Now
0: I don't know, man. So let uh, here's the interesting thing that I find in your story because you and I are polar opposites of how we responded to adversity Mm -hmm. growing up. It is really interesting to there's no question you got yourself into trouble, but there's also no question that the reason that you kept doing that is it works. And there is something cool about somebody that's like, fuck it, like I forget who said it, but they were saying, what's the point of having fuck you money if you never say fuck you? And it's like, what's the point of being strong if you never stand up for yourself? And I 1000%, this is not me saying the way that you did it makes sense, it was smart, it was really fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. And I know you've said that a million times, but at the same time, I get how not showing fear to the very thing that everybody else is terrified of mm-hmm. would actually get you a certain level of social cachet. And,
1: and, and it did like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and dispute that. Like it definitely did. Um, but again, that's short term shit. And that's, that's a tension that doesn't really matter. That's How significance. The fuck did that you doesn't get matter. Out of that? Thank you for asking that. So again, 17 times I was arrested before my 18th birthday. Eventually the state of Massachusetts like got tired of my shit. they, I was a very familiar face. It's always the same, you know, like clerks and, uh, you know, police prosecutors you're seeing all the time. Ultimately, they came to the uh, realization, the very accurate realization that I wasn't learning. I mean, I was arrested for, again, it started off with like super minor, you know, underage drinking, um, trespassing, uh, possession of marijuana before they decriminalized it in Massachusetts, um, you know, like fighting, like Ba- a battery with a dangerous weapon. So it started to kind of like I was gonna es- say
0: battery is a dangerous weapon. We're starting to we're yeah, starting to elevate from yeah. underage
1: drinking here. So so it started to escalate a bit and eventually like they just again they drew a line in the sand and they basically gave me an ultimatum and they said that uh I could either go to jail for 7 months mm. or join the military. And I opted to join the military obviously. I mean that that in a sense, is was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And what not year for was this, though? 2001. That's when I graduated high school.
0: Uh, is this before September 11th?
1: I was in boot camp during September
0: 11th. Man, because would you have made the same decision if it was after 9-11 and you knew this is essentially eminent deployment? Yes.
1: Really? Yeah, that didn't I'd v- have
0: been fucking conflicted. I was,
1: I was actually in boot camp when it happened. A- again, it was, I wasn't like a normal kid. My I didn't think. Like, I was oddly. I mean, I wasn't pumped up about what just happened Mm -hmm. in the state of our country but I was pumped up to to be in the game
0: how hardcore are you lifting at this point
1: um you know again it's all relative right like at the time to what my standards were then like pretty hardcore right I mean again there was really it it was just me getting in there doing whatever but I wasn't eating it. I was eating like shit I mean Mm -hmm. during uh the majority of like my high school years I was I Was very self reliant, so I was having to do a lot of my own cooking, and again, I I was eating a, like pretty much steadfast diet of uh, rice and ketchup and um, <laughs> a, a, angel angel hair pasta <laughs> with no sauce. Legit, those are the two things I knew how to cook. That's amazing. Yeah, and again, like you know, when you're young, you can get away with that and still look a certain way. I but, could not. I yeah.
0: <laughs> I, so I've heard.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, boot camp was obviously a, a big wake up call for me. Right, like a kid who. You know, again, like I was not a great kid. Didn't have any, uh, didn't have any structure. Didn't have a, a father figure. Didn't have like an authoritarian figure. Didn't have any discipline. So boot camp was basically exactly what someone like me needed. It it began to teach me the importance of taking pride in the details. The import- did they break you or did you give into it? I, again, like I was very mentally weak at that point, um, in the sense that. I would I would feel like things were personal. I would feel mm. like the yelling. And I mean, I got a lot of extra attention. I got <laughs> a lot of extra attention because of my attitude, because yeah. I was physically fit. And again, I, I, I there was not an awareness of of why they were doing what they're doing. It, it really pissed me off when I would make my bed perfect as good as I could. And I hated that. I hated that drill. They would make legitimately they would like you'd sit there for two hours over and over and over, over again, make your bed. And, um, you know, when everybody else was done, they'd come look at my bed, which would be perfect, and they would fuck it up and then make me keep doing it. I would get so angry inside. I didn't, you know, like lash out or anything like that, but they could see it in my. Was
0: there ever a time where you began to understand why they were doing what they were doing? Long after. Long That's after, really, really interesting. So, what experientially as it's happening? What do you think? These guys are just dicks. Are you asking like why me? One
1: hundred percent. I thought they were dicks. They're they're jealous that I looked the way that I. Whatever weird fucking na- weak narrative. Yeah. But again, like ultimately, there's the, the the training is progressive. It gets to a point where they're not screaming at you and treating you like dog shit every second of every day and then you start to feel a little better you start to you know learn how to iron your uniform and your uniform looks sharp you start to stand a little straighter and taller you start to look people in the eye and it doesn't feel unnatural and that was a big deal for me so again like i uh was very fortunate to have uh served Not just in the military, but I was a part of a very elite community. I was a Navy diver. So after I went to uh, boot camp, I went to uh, some uh, specialized training, which is basically like a fallback in the event that I didn't make it through dive school. At the time, um, there's about a 70% attrition rate in dive school, six months training, which is longer than um, actual uh, boot camp. Mm. And, um, you know, like academically, physically, mentally the the challenge that you face and that were much more profound and extensive than, you know, that of normal boot camp. But by the time I got there, I was just in a different place mentally. And although I still didn't like, you know, being yelled at, I still didn't like, you know, some of the the you know people coming and just like screaming in my ear when I'm doing everything right. Um I was in a better place to deal with it. And, you know, ultimately being in that community, serving with some of the most elite, you know, individuals of all the military it was a big deal for me. It, it helped me grow up. It helped me learn how to conduct myself like a man. It, it, it taught me the importance of uh, having high standards. And again, it just, it, it really taught me how to look at the world differently, which the, the big, the, I think the most profound breakthrough for me with my military career wasn't so much like the discipline, the structure, all these things that, you know, we're speaking about. It was the fact that, that ultimatum actually got me out of Boston, which mm. all of, the not so great things and energy and people and environment and memories that had kind of shaped me into being the kid that I was. And sh- uh, the reason I was thinking that way cause I was around all this shit. And when I was removed out of that, I started to look at the world a little different. I'm not saying I completely, uh, you know, squared myself away because I most certainly did not, but it was the first time that I started to really kind of recognize that like environment mm. plays a, i mean dude it plays a profound role in your entire fucking quality life and the thing that is really sad is people will live their entire fucking life not realizing that yeah this this to me is my fundamental thesis in
0: life is that who you think of as you is a construct you've Mm -hmm. made it up it's cobbled together from So many complicated things, not the least of which are, like you said, the memories that you have, the energy of the people that you're around, the momentum that you've created in your life of being the person who um, is in trouble with the law that Mm -hmm. people turn to for an outrageous moment. If you're at a party and the cops show up, you know that people want to see how you're going to react. And it would be such a deviation from who you see as yourself to not I had a similar experience. So when, when I was growing up, like I said, my defense mechanism was humor. And the role that I played in my family was the peacemaker. So I learned to um, be funny and my family loved it. I learned to be funny, to diffuse a situation that I couldn't diffuse physically. Mm-hmm. But when I went to college, because my brand of humor was always self-deprecating, like I would make fun of myself before you could do it. And so I could get out of anything. So if somebody wanted to fight or whatever, I would just make fun of myself. And Mm -hmm. then there was nothing left to fight. take their power. Yeah, exactly. And it was very effective strategy, but it did leave me feeling some kind of way about myself. Sure. And so when I moved to L.A., I think, hey, this is my chance to reinvent myself. And like number one on my list of reinventions was I wanted to take myself seriously. So I said, all right, I'm not going to make fun of myself anymore. I'm going to take myself seriously as an artist. I'm going to really study, because I used to cheat in high school like a madman. <laughs> and I'm going to do all my own work. I'm not going to cheat. Sink or swim. A or F. I'm doing everything myself. And so it was like this real switch in my personality. That's a big deal. Big deal. And so, flash forward, I meet my the woman who ends up becoming my wife like six years later. And I meet her, and I'm just being who I think of as myself and i'm like hey i want you to come meet my family and so we went for thanksgiving flew back home and she'd never seen me around my family Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden because the expectation is that i'm the funny guy Mm -hmm. i immediately snap back into it Mm -hmm. and i start cracking jokes every two seconds and they're in hysterics and my then girlfriend now wife is like who the fuck are you she's like what is happening and she was like i really enjoy this but it's so shocking. And Mm -hmm. she was like, it came out of left field. And I can see how, because I didn't intend to slide back into that role, but I'm seeing the same things. I'm back in my old bedroom. My family looks at me with that expectant look when there's like an opportunity for a Mm -hmm. joke. And so it's like, you know, that they're sort of waiting for you to be that person. And it's, God, what's that quote? I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. And you get that. That's a real part of who you think of as yourself is what are people reflecting back to you? Yeah.
1: Whether you are aware of it or not, whether you like it or not, the people around you, they dictate your mindset and they essentially raise or lower your standards. And you are not in control of that. It's, I mean, you could have conscious awareness of it, but the fact is, I mean, we are, I mean, the the energy man, like it's, it's, it's contagious and it is going to affect us profoundly. And this is something that like I've, I've, I've continued to like evolve and become more consciously aware of. And now like, dude, I'm, I'm like borderline obsessed with just optimizing my environment to, to, to fucking feel good. I mean, Tom, like the majority of my life, I would say to this point, you know, 36 years I've been on this planet, the majority of my life, I haven't felt good. I can honestly sit here and tell you that. And now like, I, I know what it's like to feel good. I know what it feels like to be happy and I want to preserve and protect and just basically do everything in my power, which is a lot, to, again, like essentially dictate my own happiness by being mindful of who and what I surround myself with. You have an opportunity right now to set a lot of people free. I want to know,
0: how did you gain self-awareness? Because you're somebody who didn't have it. You didn't know why you were angry or why you were doing the things you were doing or even understand why these guys are yelling in your ear and making Mm -hmm. you redo your bed and all that. But you do understand it now. So when did that, like what was the first glimmer of it and
1: then how did you develop it fully? Yeah, so just building up, building up to that, I ended up getting out of the military prematurely. I was 23. Um, again, I went from having structure, discipline, routine, order in my life to one day to the next, to just no longer having it anymore. I made the decision to get out. Had I stayed in, I would have had to leave uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where I was stationed at the time. And I would like Jacksonville and I had, I had developed a positive association with Jacksonville. And I guess I had like a, again, at the time, I'm not aware of it, but looking back on it, I'm, I'm thinking that the i didn't want to go to a place where i felt shitty again so i stayed in jacksonville got out of the military ended up working in a strip club despised that working i mean look you, most young guys would like thrive at the opportunity to work in a strip club i didn't like who i was when i was in there there was just this, the, the human beings that were coming in there the people that worked there they just made me feel less good about myself they again lowered my standards i was in a position where i was drinking at work to make the you know the the shifts more tolerable getting in fights with the customers messing with the girls i ultimately got to a point where i despised working in the strip club so much after 2 years i quit to become a drug dealer okay spent the next 7 years as a drug dealer living my life the legit polar opposite of how I'm living it now. And again, I was just carefree partying five nights a week, like all the cash I was making. And again, at the time to my standards end, it was a lot of money proportioned to what my bills were. Um, but again, like I was literally, I took that, uh, what I call the first job mentality where, you know, we're 15, we get a hundred dollar paycheck. We know that we have like that hundred dollars between the Friday you get paid to the next Friday is spend. And again, all the money that I come in, I'm spending it just as quick. And uh, eventually it got to a point, man, where I, I just, I started like, getting older. I started uh, seeing some of my other drug dealer friends at the time, you know, getting in trouble, getting sent to prison. And I, I started to really recognize what ultimately was in my future. And do you remember though that, cause here's what
0: I want to get to. So you and yeah. I have both worked with a lot of ex-convicts. Yeah. And one of the things you start to realize is, okay, your frame of reference is completely fucked up. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing the world the way that I see it. Mm -hmm. The world's the same for both of us, Mm -hmm. but we're not seeing it the same, Mm -hmm. which means we're moving differently. We're making different choices. My choices are leading me to generate wealth in my life, to create stability, um, functioning relationships, Mm -hmm. and yours is not. So you begin to go, okay, how do I make them aware of that? Mm -hmm. Because until they can Mm self-assess until they can begin to process this makes sense this doesn't this feels good even if it's just that in fact that's probably where we should focus this doesn't feel good i don't like the way this person makes me feel Mm -hmm. or i want to feel this way or whatever but if they don't recognize that mechanism they're stuck Mm -hmm. so what i'm hoping you can articulate is like what were those first like i saw my friend he was dealing drugs and he was just a dick to the person he was selling to and i thought huh that's a reflection of me like how did that process begin to happen
1: yeah so the the thing that made me want to like just get out and start going a different path is I started to feel that if I didn't I would go back to being looked upon being looked down upon as that kid that I was growing up and that really freaked me the fuck out I wasn't afraid to go to prison I wasn't afraid of getting locked up I was afraid of being looked down upon and going back to being this like insignificant, just human that really nobody gave a shit about. Mm. So I went to someone that I respected and I basically just put my cards at the table and I told him everything. And I said, listen, I, I, I want better for myself. I, have no fucking idea what to do or where to start It's like, is there anything that you can put me on to somebody who, um, you know, I looked up to at the time and was a very successful individual. And he, uh, put me on to two things. He said that I needed to start reading everything I could get my hands on related to becoming a better human being. Smart. And then I needed to start surrounding myself with people who were better than me. So the answer to your question is personal development, right? And it, it's, I talk about this all the time. Now, like the, we hear it all the time and people are watching this and people are reading these books or listening to podcasts or doing all these things, but I don't think they fully recognize why they're doing it. And it's very important that you do. The purpose of personal development is not necessarily to learn this thing about like this fact from this person who's doing this, this certain way. It's to learn how to think different. And that is a continuous process. It's a, it's an ongoing like evolution. So like the way that I was able to, you know, start recognize these things. And there's still things that I'm recognizing about myself or about my past in, uh, cause I mean, I'm, I, I personal development is what took me from, you know, being a, a drug dealer to, uh, you know, being, a you know, been featured in Forbes half a dozen times grew, uh, an eight figure company with legitimately a team of, uh, convicted felons ex-convicts and former drug addicts like personal development is essentially it's it's like a it's like the water that you know nourishes the seed and allows it to grow and allows it to prosper and we have to stay consistent with it and understand why we're doing it not because we're looking for the pump up mm. not because we're looking for the short-term fix or like that short-term answer and that's the thing like a lot of people watch shit like this they listen to shit like this they read these books and then they fucking do nothing with it. It's legitimately like like t- like masturbating and then like not getting the payoff. Mm. The payoff is on the other end of the executions. Like You've got to do shit. You've got to do shit. You've got to like take chances. And like, you know, when you learn to think differently, you're essentially like understanding that like you're never going to feel ready you're never going to be like feel good enough, feel smart enough. But you have the confidence to know that, you know what, you're going to step up to the edge of the cliff without a parachute. You're going to be afraid, but it's okay because you're going to step off and you know that you're going to figure shit out on the way down. Yeah, I think there's two things that really fuck people up. Number
0: one is they're coming up to the edge of the cliff and they don't believe they can figure it out on the way down. And so their whole life is about stay away from the edge of the cliff. Yep. And I think, so I call that the only belief that matters. Mm-hmm. The only belief that matters is that I don't need you to believe that you're exceptional, mm-hmm. right? You're hopelessly average Mm -hmm. like that the maybe the great realization of my life is that I'm hopelessly average But I can improve yeah And once I allowed myself to believe that I could get better as a function simply of being a human not that there was something special about me Not that um, I was better than anybody else because that's a really terrifyingly fragile place to be It's like valuing yourself for being smart Mm -hmm. It's like you're going to encounter somebody that's so much better than you that you're just gonna be like completely fucking shut down Yeah, and so I thought okay. I'm hopelessly average got it now, if the, the most average person ever has the ability to grow and get better, and I'm the most average person ever, then I have the ability to grow and get better. Cool. So now I have the only belief that matters because now I'm going to put energy into improvement. The other thing is people don't want shit. Like this is the big frustration of my life. And the one thing that, and this really, really bothers me to like a deep and fundamental level. And mm-hmm. if... If I were to take, what is it, sodium pentothal, the truth serum? Mm -hmm. If I were to take that, the thing that you would see is really lurking around in my soul is I secretly want to crack the code for being able to want it for other people. Yeah, Like to find some way to like get them to want for their own success the way that I want for their success. Because once you want it and you believe your energies Mm -hmm. will be rewarded, then you just, you fucking take the steps. You do the things you need to do. But if you believe you can get better but don't want it, or you want it, but don't believe you can get mm-hmm. better. Like either one is sort of this, you're going to shut down at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, do you remember like what the first part of your personal development, whether it was the first book or just the
1: first idea that really resonated with you? Yeah, I do. The, the thing that that ultimately changed my life almost on the spot and essentially laid the foundation for you know my future at the time was uh, you know back then, this was like around 2009, 2010, I started with the personal development. And back then, again, there wasn't as many resources. Social media wasn't was mm-hmm. what it is now. There wasn't shows like this. There wasn't all the podcasts. So there was YouTube and there was books. And as a drug dealer, I had a tremendous amount of free time on my hands, <laughs> as you can imagine. Started reading a lot of books, watched, every minute of content that Tony Robbins had on YouTube. And Mm. part of his thesis, um, you know, back then to this day is, you know, if uh, you want to be successful, look at someone who's doing it, whatever, model what they're doing. Another thing that he talks about is uh, how, when he was at some very low points of his life and, uh, you know, couldn't, you know, figure out how he was gonna pay his bills, whatever, he went and he helped someone else who needed Mm. help more than him. So, okay, I'm like, okay, Tony Robbins, you're saying that If I want to be successful, model some of successful, okay, I'm going to model you. And you're also saying that giving back and and contribution and philanthropy is the key board, whatever found an outlet, an opportunity at some local church to serve the homeless. And again, I, I go into this, not because I really care about helping the homeless not because I really care about giving back. And again, this is a very strange thing because I've been homeless at multiple points of my life. So one would think that that would resonate with me. It didn't. I went there for one reason and one reason only because this guy on this YouTube video said that this was going to help me change my life. Mm. And Tom, he wasn't wrong because within the first 10 minutes of me being at that church, I, I'd felt something that I'd never experienced. And you know, the, 27 years that I'd been alive to that point, I was overwhelmed with just deep feelings of gratitude, pride, perspective, and purpose. And right there, I realized that I needed to figure out some way to where I could experience those feelings all of the fucking time because I was hooked.
0: Yeah, it's super weird. I, it's the one part of my message where I always feel cheesy talking about it. Mm. But there is something hardwired in this social animal where service really makes a difference from a neurochemical perspective. And I'm really trying to get people to understand the punchline of life is neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. So it isn't success as it's traditionally defined. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not accolades because I can give you all of that. And there was like a rash not too long ago of like ultra successful people committing suicide. Was it Kate Spade? I think Mm -hmm. it was a billionaire. She committed suicide. Mm -hmm. It was like this whole rash. And it was like, you can give people all the money in the world. The famous Jim Carrey quote, I hope everybody gets as rich and famous as they want to be so they can realize it's not the answer. But it's like, okay, well then define what is the question? And the question is what makes life worth living? And the answer is, how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? Mm -hmm. Now, the way that that's constructed is super fucking complicated and has a lot to do with what do you value? What are intrinsic drivers? Because I think there are universal drivers that are hardwired into the human animal. And one of them is is purpose. One of them is service. It's having meaning in your life and knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And getting people to focus on that in the midst of the chase, right? Yeah. So I lost eight and a half years is about the real number. I usually round it to 10, but I lost roughly eight and a half years of my life chasing money. Yeah. And it was an all out chase. I hated my life, but I showed up every day and I was like, I'm going to fucking grind it out. I'm going to stick it out. Like I've got the discipline mm-hmm. to see this through. And finally, it just was so horrendous. Mm-hmm. Like you, when you were, um, I don't know if you were bouncing, but when you were working at the strip club and you're like, I fucking hate yeah, this I wasn't so much, stripper, I'd rather be a drug dealer.
1: You know, <laughs> it's like, been. What were you doing, by the I way? I was doing a combination of uh, bouncing, bar backing, cleaning the vomit off the floor in the bathroom. Nice. You name it, I did it. But I did it with purpose. I did it better than anybody else around me. I mean, that was something that I, I kind of took with me from the military And regardless of what I was doing, whether I liked it or not. I wanted to be the best because i wanted to stand out I, I didn't want to look be looked down upon like i was that's actually really interesting i always
0: tell people so that we're living in a weird time where people think interning for free is bad and that you're somehow being taken advantage mm-hmm. of and what i really want people to understand is going back to your point about modeling find the person who's living your ideal life and go and tell them that you work for them for free but when you're there fucking nothing is beneath you do everything like it was your mona lisa like go fucking crazy yeah. to do things to the level of artistry so even if you're cleaning vomit off the floor Mm -hmm. and i remember one time back at quest because i am a huge believer that you have to lead by example so you can never ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself and one day the toilet overflowed and there was actual shit on the floor Mm -hmm. and the you could tell the janitor was like, oh, fuck, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And I said, no, 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 let me do it. Yep. And so I cleaned up the shit and they're like, why are you doing that? And I said, because I want you guys to see for real, not like that. I talk about That's it. It's great opportunity. There's literally nothing that mm-hmm. I won't do. So that when I come to you with aggression and I'm like, I need you to fucking take care of this. Like, yep. what is going on? That, you know, I'll take the worst job and make it fun. Mm-hmm. I will pick up shit when it is on the floor. Like, whatever it takes. Yeah. But that is not going back a to what you were doing.
1: saying is about like giving back and contribution and like that, you know, universal like driving factor of like feeling good. So I think a lot of people just, again, like me, I didn't value it. I was only doing it because I, again, watched this video from this guy mm. and I was just, man, I was just looking for a way out, man. Right. So I think people they're not getting excited about it. They're just like, Oh, it's just kind of not my thing whatever. Like understand it's not necessarily just about you going and serving and helping other people like do it because you're selfish. Do it because uh, arguably you will actually benefit more than the people that you are helping. And I know that might sound kind of fucked up, but we, it is very, very important that we understand that. Like I think the difference between people, Tom is obviously our standards, but we don't just like come out of our mom's vaginas with like, okay, this person has low standards. A doctor is kind of like separating our this person, middle standard. this person is going to crush it in life. Like our standards are a reflection of the actions that we take or fail to take. And a lot of times the actions that we take that, you know, move our life forward are a result of us feeling good enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And we're not always going to feel great, but honestly, like in order to get yourself up and get yourself moving, like, you're not just going to get up and fucking feel good, man. You have to take action. It's a process through your physical fitness, through your mental fitness, through your contribution. Those three things. I mean, those are the three things that have allowed me to create the life that I have for myself. And I have, you know, taken that. and, And again, this was, wasn't, a process a a specific strategic process that I followed. It's just kind of like how uh, the cookie crumbled, so to speak. But then, you know, when I was able to look back on it and kind of piece it together, I was able to kind of regiment it. I was able to systematize it. And, you know, I legitimately have those three elements in place at my company. Every team member at my company is responsible for personal development mandatorily one hour per day. Do you tell them like what they should be doing? Yes, we have the building wired with uh, with speakers. So again, like it kind of uh, has that accountability factor there mm-hmm. where one hour a day, they play uh, whatever the, it's, it's, it's a month out. They have like a personal development calendar. And when personal development's on, like there is no talking. It's like church. They're working and they're listening and they're getting better. I also pay my team uh, to do physical training twice a week, early in the morning. I have a uh, trainer come in and they do like a high intensity, like almost like CrossFit style workout Mm. outside, hot as fuck, cold as fuck, whatever. The, The hotter, the better, the colder, the better. Just another opportunity to make it that much more uncomfortable. Like I'm paying them to do that because I recognize that through fitness and through like doing really hard things like that is how we develop confidence. That is how we earn the right to feel good about ourselves. And I also pay them to do community service every single week as a team, we go out in the community together and, you know, there's a number of things where I, I have a company called Nutrition Solutions. We do healthy uh, meal prep for people and, you know, either we're out in the community feeding the homeless, donating to less privileged kids or legitimately, Tom, just going out in the local community and cleaning up the streets. Mm. And the reason I'm willing to, to invest in that. The reason I'm willing to pay these people to do that isn't so I can like glorify it on a show like this or like post it all over social media to, you know, like try to get that like stroke pat on the back. It's because I know that without question by doing those things as individuals, they become better people, which in turn makes us get better as a team and ultimately allows us to grow, prosper and fucking dominate as a company. How do you think about culture?
0: So you and I both hired ex-convicts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you said in an interview one time and I this really resonated. It doesn't always work out like people want that to be a Pollyanna story. And the reality is it's fucking rad and it felt really cool and I loved it the most. But for a lot of people, they just didn't they weren't able to get their shit together and i wasn't the person that i want to be i mean ultimately like i said i want to be able to want it for people i want to be able to crack that code and like sit somebody down in front of a you know a three minute video where i just cut straight to the you know their soul and Mm -hmm. the world fucking opens up and they do it but it as of yet in my life i'm not capable of that Mm -hmm. so it became this really fascinating thing of on one hand i'd get people who would come grown fucking men like teardrop tattoos like like hard motherfuckers get it, and they would come break down in tears and be like, you care more about my future than my own mother. Okay. So I had some of those, Mm -hmm. but then I also had people stealing from me and it was like, you know, fucking super shifty and really uncomfortable and you have to fucking get rid of them. So it's like, I wouldn't say it's like some magical pool of people to pull from. And yet it spoke to my soul in a way that is hard to explain. Yeah. So how do you think about culture? Why do you give opportunities to people that are
1: probably a little behind your average potential employee? You know, I I just feel with, I mean, I was given a second chance. I mean, I was given multiple second chances, but uh, three years ago I was uh, arrested for crimes that I'd committed three years prior. Mm. So one day I come home, Again, I'm at a very different point in my life. I had walked away from my previous life. Things are going okay for me uh, you know, with the company. Again, I was in a radically different place, but at the time, to my standards, and I, was, I got two detectives uh, at my doorstep serving me on a warrant for crimes committed three years prior. I would got mm-hmm. set up and um, I went through an extensive legal process. It was about a four-month process. My bail was half a million dollars to give you some perspective. Wow. They weren't fucking around. They wanted me to. They wanted me to snitch. Mm. I respectfully declined. I just couldn't. Ima- I couldn't imagine destroying somebody else's life because I wasn't willing to be held accountable for decisions that I made. I, mm. I. I legitimately had just got myself to the point where I was like, okay, you know what? I'd rather sit in a prison cell for however many years and actually ha- maintain my dignity than be free and know that I was too much of a bitch to take responsibility for my actions. So they don't Uh, like when you don't cooperate. The, (laughs) the the story
0: about how the legal stuff shakes down, we will get to, but that is so fucking interesting. I need to stop you for a second. Yeah, of course. So the building the identity of somebody who would rather, deal with their own consequences than be a bitch and rat Mm -hmm. somebody out. How do you get to that point? When, when, so you start doing Tony Robbins, you Mm -hmm. start building a sense of self. You Mm -hmm. start, I know Tony talks a lot about identity drives behavior. So I'm guessing identity is something that's on your radar. Mm -hmm. How do you, Put your identity together how do you think of yourself now like are there words that you use like don't be a bitch all the or, time yeah like give me give me Daily. some of those no matter how yeah so, so offensive like, some people may find them
1: yeah i, I mean listen like whatever it, we all communicate differently right we all whatever it takes yeah, that's what you said at the beginning of this conversation and like at the time i mean look i had uh made a lot of progress personally professionally mentally financially Um, you know, and I just realized that, you know what, like I did what I did for a lot of fucking years and this is the direct, this is the consequence. And I, you know, was in a position where my bail was half a million dollars and they were trying to make an example out of me. Mm -hmm. Right. I I was selling steroids again. I'm not trying to minimize what I did, but I mean like they're legitimately like rapists and people who molest children that get. Lesser bail than that, Mm. but uh, I was able to, you know, bail out. Obviously uh, I didn't have half a million dollars You pay 10% of that. You get out. That money's gone. That's everything I had. And they wanted, they wanted legitimately the deal, the offer was 24 months in prison and I fought it, man. I mean, I went all in and I I just legitimately thought that,
0: but how do you get an identity that, that lets you do that? That's so funny. Because I looked at it
1: as like being a fucking coward. I like I looked at it as, so what are some of the
0: rules that you live by? Now, like today, I'm assuming yeah. it was the same thing that led you to that. So don't be a coward. No, what just,
1: else? You have to take responsibility over everything, the good, the bad, everything. I mean, whether like if it's in whether it's 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 a something you've created or something that just affects you in any way, shape or form. Taking responsibility is like the ultimate superpower. And that's what it was. Um, I felt that I needed to take response and, and I and I had essentially taken responsibility over, you know, my future back then by again, like making the conscious decision to draw a line in the sand and start creating a different life for myself. Did you say that like today's a new day? I am, I'm now crossing some sort of metaphorical threshold. Yeah. I, I, I knew what was happening. I knew that it was like a, a, I mean, look, I remember when I was, uh, when I started my company, when I was allowed or at a point where I was capable of paying myself $500 a week, I felt like the fucking man yeah. at that point because that was the first time I'd ever made that much money in an official, legitimate, mm. legal capacity. From something f- you created. Yeah, it felt fucking good. Now, I also realized that I had a shit ton of work to do. I mean, I was dealing with all of the stress and the chaos and like the, you know, the it crushes your soul when you're starting a business and you're trying to figure it out. But again, like I, f- I felt at least I was doing something that I could be proud of. Even if I wasn't making a lot of money, even if I was failing, which I was, I did a, a considerable amount of failing the first several years. But again, like I just, you know, I just kept pushing and I just kept fighting and it was it taking responsibility was again, the thing that basically allowed me to have the courage to step away from my former life, which that's a tough thing to do, man. Most people don't do that on their own terms. They do that because they end up getting in trouble. I mean. Of course, I ended up getting in trouble, but I had already walked away three years prior. Right. So like, you know, taking responsibility. I mean, a uh, core value of my company is extreme ownership, which is basically like taking responsibility on steroids. I just didn't want to be a hypocrite, man. I, I, I knew that I had to be a man. I knew I had to face this. And honestly, what I, does it mean to be a man? Define that for me. To be a man. I mean, It doesn't matter uh, what gender you are. Just to be someone who operates with integrity, honor. And always does the right fucking thing, even when it doesn't feel good. Mm. Yeah, I love that.
0: It's interesting to me how important it is to define who you are, what you stand for, what you're willing to do. But not a lot of people get tested. Mm -hmm. So what I love about your story Mm -hmm. is that you got tested. Like That shit is real. To not take the deal means that you're going to face... A much more exaggerated in penalty. Yeah. Because they're like, Well, fuck you, you made us do all of this. Now we yeah. have to like the time, the pay- money, exactly. the manpower. Yeah. So like you really put your money where your mouth and, is. And
1: not only that, Tom, I didn't deny what they said I was gonna do. Mm. That is fucking unheard of. Like the charges against me, I didn't deny it. And again, against my attorney's advice, because that's you don't do that. Right. <laughs> But I honestly, like I, I had just, I'd felt so different when I had walked away from being a drug dealer. Like I felt Mm. good about no longer having to like look over my shoulder have that like near paralyzing anxiety of like, you know, when are they going to come knocking on my door? When is the bottom going to fall out of this Mm. fucking thing? When am I going to be sent to prison? All these things. And I, I, I literally thought that I, I, there's no way i could go into a courtroom and expect a judge or just uh the, you know the opposing counsel to believe that the one or two times that i had uh like you know that i got set up i actually got set up three times that was the only time that i'd ever right. this is what i did and I, I said it to the cop it's like i did this for a lot of years i was this person but i'm not anymore and they knew they knew they obviously looked at my life now and seen the the, the changes mm. that i had made but again like they're just they're they're there it, it's It's a game. I mean, that's what the legal system is in in this uh, capacity. And nobody, it was my actions that brought me into that situation. And that process, man, it, it took a lot. It took a lot out of my man. It took a lot of years off my life. It took all the money I had and then some, but I had to fight, man. I I had about, you know, uh, maybe 10 or 11 employees at the time. And when you're uh, that small of an organization, you're, it's a lot more intimate right? Like you have a lot more personal relationships, mm-hmm. you know about these people, you know about their families, you know about the responsibilities they have. And although I knew I'd be okay if I got sent to prison and I kind of, you know, if I, if I get sent to prison, I'll just, this would be part of my story and I'll come out and right. th- da, 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 da. I, I knew I had to fight and I couldn't make this deal. I couldn't just lay down because had I done that, I'd be letting, my team down i'd be putting them in a position where they'd be out of work they wouldn't be able to you know have income to support their family and and, and take care of their responsibilities so that was kind of you know my driving force to 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 keep fighting and you know it was about a four month process and in a just shocking turn of events i go in the day to be sentenced the uh the judge had uh reviewed my mitigation i had 100 people that showed up to the court Whoa. to support me it's a big deal man it's a big fucking deal Just thinking about it right now makes me a little emotional. Like I was there walking in, not knowing if I'd be walking out on my own free will. Mm. And uh, the judge asked to address me in the courtroom. And uh, she basically said that she had reviewed my mitigation. She had read the, uh, the, the character testimonies. She was familiar with who I was and the work that I'd done in the community. And she told me at my sentencing that I should be proud of myself. for what i've been doing in the world and she told me that the purpose of prison is rehabilitation and that she couldn't responsibly send me to prison because she felt that i had already done that on my own so i got a second chance that day i was let off with probation which was like being sent to disney world on an all expensive (laughs) expenses paid trip compared to what the outcome could have been Mm. and from that day forward man that is when i decided that I needed to pay it forward to the universe for this, this opportunity, this gift that I was given that most people would never get. And I needed to do everything in my power to get the very most out of every single second of every single day. And part of that would be the responsibility that I chose to take on to help people that come from situations that look like mine, that come from situations that were worse than mine. Mm. Because I figured it out then, and statistically speaking, the overwhelming majority of people do not. I figured it out and I wanted to basically do my part. And I, I, from that point dedicated my life to helping other people basically bridge the gap between where they are and where they wanna be. And that's not just with people who, you know, have been in prison, done time, come from, you know, broken homes, been abused. It's just, it's, it's, it's anybody, but my work with, People who've been in jail and addicts and people who walked, you know, the, the, the road that I did, I knew that I could utilize my company, that platform that I had already. And I could immediately begin to basically practice what it is I was preaching and, uh, and, and help people in an intimate capacity. And it was something that was like, okay, from this point forward, we're going to have this, it was kind of something that organically happened. I started attracting these people. And then from there, it was something that I realized, Wow, you know what, like we got something here. And you know, the beginning of this, like part of the conversation, you mentioned that you saw an interview where I said, you know, it it doesn't always work out. Mm. If I were to sit here and say, oh, it doesn't always work out. I mean, that would be an extremely exaggerated statement. The fact is it doesn't work out a hell of a lot more times than it does. Mm. But the times that it does, Tom, that feeling, that sense of accomplishment, knowing that you have directly contributed to basically helping someone become a better human being, given someone an opportunity they never would have been able to get on their own because mm-hmm. their record and all this, and given them the ability to learn how to just become a better human being and provide a better life for themselves and their family. There is nothing, no feeling that comes close to that. And I'll tell you like, For every 10 people, three of them work out. Mm -hmm. I don't look at it as, oh, well, you know, I've seven losses. I look at it like I'm batting 300. That's a big fucking difference, man. If you're batting 300, that's good enough for the Hall of Fame. If you want a fighting
0: chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running talk me through your interview process how do you interview um what are you looking for because that's a
1: obviously you're pulling from a high risk population so
0: what's yeah. that process
1: yeah so obviously once this became like a, a little more public information and i had a couple of different news uh, media outlets mm. that had me on to talk about this so we obviously we're opened up a little more and right. we had a, a, a little more uh, activities as for as people applying. So yeah. we had to tighten up and, and regiment the recruiting process, but whether it's uh, you know, someone who is coming to us that has a record that was a former addict that used to be homeless, whatever, or just someone who's just coming that, you know, was just lived a normal life. Like we're looking, the only two things that you really need to work at nutrition solutions is you need to have a good attitude, And need to be willing to work hard Mm. as it pertains to convicts and people who have done time convicted felons and such. The only thing we're looking for in that aspect is have they taken responsibility Mm. because it's, we know going into the interview, right? Like it's, it's part of the, like the initial process, paperwork, background checks. So like when they're asked about it, if there is any like sort of just indication, oh, well, you know, I was in this situation and this other person and I just was, I was in the car like, (laughs) dude, like, sorry. And then we'll coach them up. We'll tell them like, look, that's, you know, I don't do those interviews anymore, but my team is trained. They know we're Mm. we're, like, have they owned it? But if they can, without hesitation, without flinching, look you in the eye and say, here's what happened. This was my situation at the time. This was the position I was in. I made some Mm. very bad decisions, but, I'm here today committed to do whatever I need to do for as long as I need to do it to create a better life for myself and my family. And it is honestly that simple. Unfortunately, most people think that their past defines them. I mean, I was one of those people for the majority of my life. They think because this blemish, no matter how bad it is, that that defines their current reality and essentially dictates their future. And they try to avoid it they try to you know pretend like it doesn't happen and when it comes up they get super uncomfortable failing to realize the best thing they could do was what you used to do when you were a kid you you make fun of yourself like oh, you just fucking say it you put it out there before anybody else has a mm-hmm. chance to and then it goes from a point where people look down on you to people actually respect the fuck out of you and that was the thing that i was so afraid of for the longest time it's like shit like I'm, I'm trying to start you know this business and people are going to take me seriously and i'm like trying to act like i was legit and it wasn't until i fucking just put it out there man and it was hard but then once i did that the legitimate and total opposite of what i thought was going to happen happened mm. i gained respect instead of lost it
0: yeah it's so interesting like when you own who you are then it's people are going to pick up on your vibe. They're going to respond the way that you respond. It's interesting how you can really set the tone for that kind of stuff. Yeah, we had a similar reaction. So when we started telling people, well, we technically put word out on the street, Mm -hmm. uh, as they say. So one of our earliest employees was a kid that grew up on the streets. And we told him, hey, like, look, man, my whole philosophy in life doesn't matter who you are. matters who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. So Fact. if you have friends that are fucking convicts, I don't give a shit. Because mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I've had a lot of friends that, that have you know, been to jail or in their in gangs, whatever. What do you think? Because we we're like, fuck, we have to hire, man. We got to hire anybody. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like, bring him in. Because <laughs> right. my thing was like, look, if you want to build a company, let me tell you something you have to get real fucking good at. Mm-hmm. So for all the like people out there that are want to be entrepreneurs. You've got to get to the point where you can look across the table at somebody and figure out who the fuck they are. And here's the truth. You're going to suck at it. I sucked at it for sure. But Mm -hmm. you've got to be a little bit better than Mm -hmm. chance. Mm -hmm. And once you get a little bit better than chance, then you can start to build something. You can create momentum. And I remember there was this one time. We were growing so fast, dude. So you'll get this because you're in a similar space. We grew by Mm 57,000% in our first three years alone. That was in manufacturing. So now you're one we're in Compton. We're hiring as fast as we can conceivably hire. Yeah. And we're having like when, once we said that we'd hire convicts, Mm -hmm. like we had people lined up around the building Mm -hmm. and it was of course (laughs) to, to hire people that fast. we had to find a way to interview multiple people at the same time. And it was getting so weird and I'm super curious to know if you had the same thing. So keep in mind, I'm small compared to you. So I have these thug ass motherfuckers coming in to interview. They've got the teardrop tattoos, the fucking shaved head, tats crawling up their neck on the face, like the whole fucking Mm -hmm. nine. And in no way, shape or form, can I show weakness. Mm -hmm. So I have to project. Confidence doesn't cover it. Fucking strength, aggression, like the whole nine. So the this becomes like this super weird phase in my life where people that know me now that have seen me on camera, they they would not believe like how weird those environments were. Yeah. And my whole thing was I have to burrow inside your soul. So what I was saying at the beginning, I in three minutes. So my goal, I would come into every interview thinking. This is my chance. This may be the first and only time this person ever encounters a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So one, they're going to see, you can't back me down. I can't be cowed. So I'm going to, whatever level of aggression you bring, I'm going to match or I'm going to exceed. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you're going to know by the end of this fucking interview, I want you to win. Mm -hmm. I want you to win. I want to create an environment where you can come in and I'm going to ask you to fucking break yourself in half to improve your life. But- I'm going to give you the platform to do that. So we had these people coming in like fucking three at a time, five at a time. And so I'm having to develop shorthand and I finally I come up with this magic genie question. So hey, I know it looks like a bottle of water. That was always mm-hmm. my thing. It looks like a bottle of water, but it's really a genie lamp. Mm-hmm. In a minute, a magic genie is going to appear, they're going to grant you one wish and one wish only. You can't ask for more wishes. It's got to be something just for you. What do you want? Like you can't cure cancer, bring somebody back from right. the dead, like what the fuck do you want? And. Everyone said a million dollars. It was like Mm -hmm. this whole thing. It was super fucking surreal to me that they all said that. But like getting to the point like what's your dream and realizing they didn't have a fucking dream. Like they'd never thought beyond like I want a job, which is what they all first told me. I want a job. That's bullshit. You're just saying that because you want to get hired. Like it's a magic genie. Don't ask for a fucking job. Yeah. So what do you really want? I want a million dollars, which is patently absurd. You can't buy a house for a million dollars. So. (laughs) It was like, I began to realize, okay, wait a second. We have a frame of reference problem, but it began to reveal to me who people were really, really fast. And we had this one guy come in and I'm sitting in the interview and it's him and two other guys and I'm doing the whole thing. And he is mad dogging me like fucking crazy. Like he's clearly trying to test me. He's trying to see like, if I'll back down, like, is this guy for fucking real or what? And in the middle of the meeting, I point at him and I'm like, you have anger management problems. And he was like, his jaw hit the floor. Yeah. And I sent the other two people out and I said, look, I, I want to talk to just you. And so I take him for a walk and he was like, how the fuck do you do that? I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, how did you know that I have anger management problems? I literally drove here from an anger management class. Wow. And I thought this is what it means to be good in a room. Yeah. And this is what it means to develop a skill set. Because the honest answer was I didn't I don't have any innate special skill, mm-hmm. but I'd interviewed so many people by then and I had just done little tests. Yep. Like, let me throw out I remember one time saying to a woman, um, she was talking about something and I was like, the way she moves is like crazy graceful. So I'm like, Well, you know, back when you were taking ballet lessons. And she was like, what the fuck? She couldn't believe. But it was like, it was just a fucking guess, right? But you do this enough, you start to get pattern Pattern, recognition. But you have to train yourself. So I'm like, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you've got to push yourself to get to the point where you're getting good at it. Like, you have to invest in everything like it's practice. You're not going to have, like... Here, so I used to study magic. I have an obsession with magic.
1: That's interesting.
0: Oh, dude, my thing is world breaks down into two people. There's the kind that when they find out how a trick is done, they're disappointed. Mm-hmm. And the other kind when they find out how it's done, they're more excited. Yep. Now, I'm going to give away all of magic for you. <laughs> what makes something magical is the person has worked so impossibly hard and long and thought so far in advance that you simply would rather believe that they can bend the laws of physics than that they would work that far in advance, planning things a year or 18 months or work on a trick for five, 10 years before they can pull it off. And you think, well, there's no way that somebody would work on something for 10 years or go to the, you know, like the manufacturer of this basketball to get a card put inside when the basketball is being made. No, that's what they really did. And it's like people just, nah, it's not possible. So the, To get good at something, to me, is like magic. You've just worked so long and so hard at it and fallen on your face so many times. And the number of things that I was like, oh, remember the time that you took ballet? And the person's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so, because you miss. You just get it wrong. But you're like refining, 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 refining. And if people took the time to make that demand of themselves, to get to the point where they can really be good at interviewing and look, I've done enough of it to know it's fucking brutally difficult. Yeah. And I'm at like 57% accuracy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, 50, which yeah. is just pure chance. Yeah. So this is not me saying that I've, you know, gotten so good at this that I can, you know, see through people's yeah. souls. But it's like you you begin to get one up on the house, which is failure. Yeah, right. Yeah. When you think of the house always wins, you just fail. Mm-hmm. Like that's the default position yep. when you're trying to start a company. And so doing all this just inhuman amount of practice to mm-hmm. get to the point where it looks like magic because you've worked so long at it that people simply refuse to believe that it's just an unending amount of hard work.
1: Yeah. I mean, man, this is such is life. Like whatever whatever you do, you got to do it bad before you do it good. You know, and I think a, a lot of people just, there's so many incorrect, I guess, uh, associations with certain things like, you know, like if you're you're tired or like when you don't feel like it or it's cold or it's too hot and it's like, oh, that means we don't. It's like, no, like, I think when it's all said and done, Tom, like without question, there's going to be far more many days that we didn't feel like doing something that we didn't feel like going and putting forth that effort to, to get better at whatever that thing is that mm-hmm. we're trying to improve on. There's going to be more days that we don't feel like doing that than days that we do. And I think the difference between winners and losers at the end of the day is winners just get up and go do it anyway. They do what they need to do because they understand that the happiness that all of us seek as human beings doesn't come with the material goal. It doesn't come with that 1 million dollars that with that, you know, you rub the genie lamp. It comes with the progress. And progress is a direct positive consequence of work, sacrifice, and consistency. Mm. And that is legitimately it. And we're not talking about like, you know, bundles of money and like, you know, huge companies. I mean, maybe some of us are, but some people, you know, they they just kind of drift throughout life. You know, the uh, average American will have 12 jobs by the time they retire. And they go from job to job to job because they get to a point where they just, they, they, they feel as if they hate their job. 87% of Americans report not having passion towards their job Mm. dude that's fucking that's crazy like you're fucked if you don't have passion towards your job or 80 percent actually say they straight up hate their job dude enjoy your shitty life there's a lot of things out there that that are going to tell you that like go do what you love that is fundamentally impossible for the overwhelming majority of normal people you have to train yourself to learn to love what you do
0: i don't know if i agree with that okay so Uh, So here's my thinking on this. I think that you're where you're going is directionally correct. So people are, you're not going to accidentally love your life, but I would tell people rather than try to fall in love with what you're already doing, like develop love for something you actually give a shit about. So I want people to be blank slates. That Mm -hmm. would fit my worldview a lot more than what I think is the scientific reality, which is you're probably about 50, 50. Mm -hmm. So 50% is temperament. It's you're born with that shit. It's your genetics. There's nothing to be done about it. Mm -hmm. And then 50% is epigenetics. So it's, it is, your your unique like genetic abilities and temperament and all that married with how'd you grow up what were the things you encountered what were the coping techniques what's the identity that you tell yourself what do you take ownership do you Mm -hmm. not what are the rules what are your habits like all malleable shit Mm -hmm. so I think there really is something that people have that would be a spark of interest and Mm -hmm. the thing that I think really fucks people up is they don't have six months of saving And if you don't have six months of savings, you're stuck in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're gonna take, you're gonna keep the job even though you fucking hate it, Mm -hmm. because when you look at leaving, the level of panic that consumes you at the thought of like, what the fuck would I actually do? Like, would I? Yeah, it's it is so big and terrifying. You don't know which way to bounce. If people had. Six months savings and you knew that you could and you were fucking disciplined about it Mm -hmm. so that if you left and you ate up three months of savings while you're looking for for a job you actually cared about, you'd build it back up and you'd get to six months again. And that way you could always be looking at your job rationally Mm -hmm. and saying, do I actually enjoy this? Did I make a mistake? Did I try to win the job? Oh Mm -hmm. God, that was something that used to drive me fucking nuts. People would come in still now to this day, probably worse now because they've seen the content. And so they're not thinking, oh, this is still fucking work. Mm -hmm. Or they don't believe me when I say I'm the most diehard motherfucker you're ever going to meet. So if you're going to work around me, like be real careful Mm -hmm. about who you model your life after. Mm -hmm. But they try to win the job, right? So rather than going, do I actually want to fucking work here? They're just trying to get picked. Mm -hmm. And because they don't have six month salary and because they were trying to get picked and because they have like this, they don't have a rule in their own life that all of this needs to add up to neurochemistry. They just end up in these weird fucking positions. But they could if they had the six month salary and they realized that a job is 50% of your waking hours and they made the demands of themselves that they're going to find something Mm -hmm. that is based on a real spark of interest. And that's where maybe we disagree, is i think there are some things you're not going to be able to fall in love with and so i'm and i am admittedly like if my wife were horribly burned i would i would find a way to still fall in love with that yeah so but at the same time my advice to people is you're going to craft a passion Mm -hmm. based on something you actually give a shit about
1: so yeah you could do that the i think a lot of people put or end up in situations where they don't have the savings because even if they are making, let's say, a surplus of, of, of money compared to speaking to their bills, they hate their job. They take that energy with them outside that other 50 percent, and they're going to spend money on things that temporarily, you know, give them that like serotonin hit, mm-hmm. temporarily make them feel good, give them that short term gratification when you're not pa- genuinely passionate about something. It's going to make it very, very difficult to go above and beyond. It's going to make it very difficult to get up early, to fucking hammer it out late, to like work weekends, work holidays, to essentially do the things that you need to do to separate yourself from the pack and uh, bring value to your organization and uh, essentially be financially compensated. When I say that passion can be developed, I mean, I don't know that this is like a, a, an opinion. I mean, I lived it for the first five years. I fucking hated my company. I hated everybody that worked there. It was everybody else's fault. I didn't like what I was doing. I, I didn't come up privileged. Tom. so I wasn't like, like a foodie with a, like high end palate. Right. I have no culinary background. So in my mind, again, I was a different person and my mind worked a lot differently. I'm selling food. I'm selling food. I, I couldn't get passionate about that. Mm. It wasn't until I, again, this was after, I mean, a lot changed after, uh, my sentencing and I was given a second chance. And, um, I mean, I say a lot changed, but it was my mindset that changed, which is just a million things kind of organically, uh, evolved due to that. Mm. It wasn't until I started in creating and incorporating things that I was passionate about into my company that I fall in love with it, essentially bringing in personal development as a mandatory part of the workday, paying the team to do the, uh, the, the, the physical training, doing the community involvement stuff that I'd never thought about before right. having in my business, but stuff that like made me feel alive, like on a personal level. So once I was able to do that, not only did I actually start enjoying what it is I was doing, I started making a lot of money mm. <laughs> when before that, I mean, I was making money. I mean, like on paper, like there was a, a parent, according to my accountant, there is money. But in the bank accounts, it was a different story because I was spending it as fast as it was coming in. So I just think it's a, it's, it's, it's a mindset. I think the, 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 the easiest way and quickest way to become passionate about something is to be the best at it reframe you know your mindset about what you're doing and just look for a way i mean like again like i i talked about this on my podcast the other day where i was giving some examples about you know how anybody can just learn to be passionate about what they do and let's say you're a mechanic right you're turning wrenches all day whatever and you know your people come in and you're looking for opportunities to upsell them on shit that they don't even really need and they don't really understand and just making what is for most people a very stressful situation like that much worse. Mm-hmm. You don't give a fuck, you're in there just just trying to fuck people out of their money essentially. Like you could be that guy and be the guy who literally lives paycheck to paycheck, despises what he does for a living, and again like has a relatively low quality life. Or you could be the guy who looks at every experience, every customer experience as an opportunity to make like a what would ordinarily be considered a very stressful situation for most people, a little less stressful by being honest, by being fair, by helping them through the process, recommending like, I mean, if they don't need something like, or if there's a service that they could do on their own, do it cheaper, turn them onto that. Even if you lose that little bit of income, like you and I know that that comes back in other ways in abundance, but it's, it's a way to just look at what you're doing instead of just the fact that you're in the turning wrenches, like, no, like you're in there to help people solve a real problem. You're in there to help people get the means of transportation that, you know, allows them to commute to work, to produce income, to uh, take their kids to soccer practice, take their family out to dinner. Like it's just a different mindset. And when you go into it with that service mentality, the entire game changes, man. And That is how you grow a business. That is how you grow on a personal level is by doing things in such a way that essentially serve and bring value to others. And Mm -hmm. when you see what happens when you do that, when you're on the receiving end of that gratitude, that is where the passion in my opinion is, uh, is ignited. It's a great book
0: by Cal Newport, if I'm not mistaken, called so good, they can't ignore you. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how passion is developed. um, And that, passion, a key component of passion is mastery. And that was a, a big epiphany for me. And when I read that book, I was like, you're so fucking right. I do think it has to be built around something that's real for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's telling that for you to, to create the passion in your business, you started bringing in things that you cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one thing that I'll sort of caution people against is rather than try to fight upstream and, and create it based on something like. If you fucking hate your job, you need to, one, take total ownership. You have to look at that. Is it just you with a piss poor attitude and it's based on something you give a shit about and you've Mm -hmm. just wrapped it in garbage Mm -hmm. or is it something you really don't care about and it's time to move on? But assuming that there's a spark of real interest there, then going down the path of gaining mastery is it's pretty interesting that that is something that feeds into it. So it's created this sense for me that. Passion is like love. I don't think you're actually in love unless it's reciprocated. You're Mm -hmm. infatuated, but you're Mm -hmm. not in love Mm -hmm. and it's not going to give you energy. In fact, there's there's a darkness to unrequited love. There's a desperation to it a neediness. Whereas when you really feel connected to the other person and and it just feels like reciprocal and yeah, there's something beautiful and it gives you energy that's how I feel about passion. If you're getting so good at it, that it has utility and it allows you to serve not only yourself, but other people, mm-hmm. then you're, it really does give you energy. Because when you're thinking about building this thing, you're thinking about the ways that it's actually going to allow you to move through the world in a way that you value. Yeah. And I think that one of the, going back to universal values, I think one of the universal values is, is it's something that was hard to obtain it's unique to you and it allows you to help other people. I think there's just that magical trifecta
1: is is really powerful. I I was never passionate about like cleaning puke off the floor in the strip club, (laughs) but I was passionate about like being the best at what I did. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to do it, so if I was going to do it, I was going to be the best at it. I was going to clean that floor in such a way where after I was done, somebody would feel comfortable eating a prime rib directly off of it. and That's clean. Well, those, that type of like attention to detail, when you take pride in like those undesirable tasks, like that cultivates like just habits and just good, solid, like regimented discipline that, Mm -hmm. I mean, again, if you can't take pride in the small things, if you can't like just excel and dominate with the the small tasks, it's, it's, it's pretty unreasonable to think that you're going to be able to do anything on a higher level, uh, you know, at a higher level.
0: Yeah, no, that that is for sure. And how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think that that's one of those things that I heard a lot and I didn't really understand what it meant. Yeah. And I think I'll say it a different way. Whatever Mm -hmm. internal rules govern your actions, Mm -hmm. they they govern all of your actions. So if it is okay to you to um, tell people that you do one thing and then do another, then you're going to do that with everything. Things that matter, things that don't matter. It's like so I I engineer hard things into my life. And part of what makes that so sustainable for me is I love the feeling when in a public forum, I get to say, I did that thing. And even though nobody's there to check me, I get the neurochemical reward because I know I actually did it. So even though nobody's looking, I'm not doing it for the feedback from other people. That would be totally empty if I knew I was bullshitting. It's the way that I feel because I know that it's actually true. And I know that I was consistent. So that Rule about this is about how I feel about myself Mm -hmm. that governs all of my actions. So I'm not going to bullshit or take on something that I'm not prepared to crush because I know it's not going to serve me. So I think people have to be really careful about the about taking control of the rules that they live by. Mm -hmm. You have rules, whether you realize what they are or not. One of your rules may be do whatever you can get away with. And that's a rule I see a lot of motherfuckers Mm -hmm. live by. And so it's like, well, as long as nobody else knows, I'm fine with it. But you wanna talk about violating universal principles of the human animal, the human animal is drawn to integrity. If I say something, I do something. And the desire to be congruent, I don't know why it's hardwired into us, but it is, and it probably serves an evolutionary advantage from, if you're congruent, then you have trust within the group. If you're trusted within the group, you're more likely to be protected by the group, which means you're less likely likely to get ostracized. I'm making that shit up, but I'm guessing it's gonna be (laughs) something like that. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that we're this social creature, once you begin to parse out like what are the universals, live in accordance with those, mm-hmm. then you can begin to layer on fancier things that are maybe unique to you, but like first getting in alignment with the the just universals, doing a job well is always and forever going to make somebody
1: proud the end yeah and like and, and the other thing is like you said when you're not doing things or when you're doing things and people don't know, dude, just cause they don't see you doing something like doesn't mean you can't tell. It's like you can fucking tell, right? Like people's lives look the way they do. Not because of the shit that they do when the boss is watching hmm. or when the spotlight's on, it's a result of the shit that they're doing or not doing when they're alone and when nobody else is watching. And that's a real fact. And I think a lot of people are quick to, get frustrated or like disgruntled or, you know, bitter, uh, resentful in a situation, uh, in a business, uh, whether they're working in a business or working at their own business and they're not growing, things aren't happening. Well, things aren't happening because you're not doing things that you need to do to make them fucking happen. And I think just people tend to under, I mean, look, man, this shit is hard. Like it's hard, but it's supposed to be hard. So when you know that it kind of just changes the game a little bit. Like hard isn't bad, Mm. hard is necessary. It's interesting,
0: hard is truth. It just is hard. So for whatever reason, like I'd be happy if it weren't hard. That would be amazing. Although there's mechanisms within us that I think if you didn't contrary, earn it, yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing there. So it's um, I know you read extreme ownership. Yep. So I love Jocko Willing's idea of oh, it's hard, good, mm-hmm. right? That notion of once you lean into the pain, mm-hmm. then everything. Changes Mm -hmm. and oh, there's this really fucking fascinating documentary called sick Mm -hmm. Um, Life and death of Bob Flanagan super masochist now I am not recommending it because the guy literally nails his penis to a board on camera And it is the only time in my life where I actively had to put my hands in front of my eyes I couldn't fucking watch it was so crazy and But it is utterly fascinating. This guy had cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. So his whole life from the time he's a kid his he's Sort of slowly dying right. from the clogging of his own um, lungs with mucus. So yep. you're basically drowning. Yeah. But he, it took him 40 years to drown. So like, imagine Slow the painful. amount of pain. Yeah, just yeah. fucking crazy. So when he's like 11, he starts putting needles, needles in a belt and whipping himself with it. And in the documentary, I'm thinking this is so fucking crazy. I had never encountered this idea ever before in my life. And it was like looking into the abyss of human nature Mm -hmm. and realizing there, there are like weirdnesses to us as an animal. And his whole explanation was I took control of the pain and that like, I have the chills now that resonates. Like when I go to the dentist, I fucking hate the Mm -hmm. dentist, man. But I force myself like if they're doing something that really hurts, Mm -hmm. I open my mouth wider to make sure they can really fucking get in there. And once I switch my mind to I'm not trying to avoid the pain, I'm asking myself one fucking simple question. How much can I bear? Once I flip my mind to that, like, motherfucker, I'm in control here. I can go all the way. I will not break. Like, when you begin telling yourself that narrative, when those are the words that are running through your head, the neurochemistry in your own fucking mind changes. And that's why, like, I want people to get, this is a game of neurochemistry. So you fucking worrying about what somebody else does, you... Uh, saying that this is their fault you working in a company and pissing and moaning that things aren't working you starting a company jesus christ and thinking that like oh this isn't working and it's somebody else's fault yeah exactly what you said motherfucker you're not doing what you need to do to win
1: yeah you gotta adjust
0: yes so literally stop worrying about anything other than no bullshit what would it take No bullshit. What would it take? What would I have to do? And once you take that on and one, you're not judging yourself for whether you win or lose, you're judging yourself by, am I sincerely pursuing this or not? Because look, there's so much you can't control. Like Mm -hmm. as much as I I only ever ask myself, what can I do to make a change? How much of this can I own and all that? And it actually drives me fucking crazy when people hear that. And then they think I'm saying I can control people or the world. I know that I can't, but I Mm -hmm. can always control myself. And in doing different things, I can at least change the odds of getting a different outcome and so staying in that like driver's position to me is what it's all about and so looking at binary this is my goal either what i did got me my goal or Mm -hmm. it didn't and then
1: just own it so i mean so much what you just said that was that was amazing like i understand why that guy did what he was doing it's this, the, you know, you said he, he, uh what did he do? He nailed his penis. That, that part I still don't understand.
0: But he whipped himself with a belt with needles in it.
1: Okay. He, he whipped him and then ultimately he nailed his penis to a, yep. a board or something. Uh-huh. So it's literally the same mental concept as for why people do like tri- Ironman triathlons. Why people do these just crazy just tasks of mental and physical strength. It's because they understand and recognize what is on the other end of that. For someone like that, he probably, you know, due to his condition or his, his, his health or lack thereof, he couldn't do some of those things. So he took advantage and leveraged that opportunity to really-, really discover what the human spirit was capable of. And the thing is, the more discomfort we actively seek out, the more voluntary situations we put ourselves in that hurt, that don't fucking feel good. It makes the problems that we encounter in business and life infinitely more tolerable. And instead of defaulting to, oh, well, it's this or person's fault or that or every fucking excuse that we can possibly. We realize that like this is fucking part of it. This is the game. I'm not doing things good enough. So I need to fucking step up, stop being a bitch and do the things I need to do to fucking fix whatever problems that I have essentially created. And that's the fucking difference, man. The people that are going to make the excuses and blame other circumstances, the president, the economy, this, you know, this other com- but whatever, like those are the people that haven't voluntarily put themselves in enough situations where they basically inflicted pain on themselves via very hard workouts, cold showers, like all these little, opportunities that we all have readily available to ourselves mm-hmm. every single day that basically does things to our mind that don't necessarily make it to where we don't ha- we, you know, have less problems, but it puts us in a better position to take action when we do experience the problems. And we recognize that those problems aren't like, you know, b- bad things. They're opportunities. Yeah. It's interesting. There's something
0: about hard things. I'm, I'm super intrigued to, understand like one it prepares you so cold exposure actually makes your body Mm -hmm. marshal a response it increases your immune system response you can actually change some white adipose tissue into brown fat so that you're more thermogenic you can actually create more heat okay cool so there's the physiological inflammation right we got yeah it's all real yep but there's also something about Mm self-worth that is tied to doing hard things specifically like when you do difficult things i think it changes the way that you feel about yourself which is really interesting and it falls into i think even the the same realm jordan peterson talks a lot about like clean your room yeah and i think there's something similar about that there's getting yourself organized being disciplined doing hard things there's so i um I had Wim Hof on the show mm-hmm. and he's like the master of cold exposure yeah. for people who know, don't know. If you guys haven't seen that episode, by the way, go watch it, Impact Theory, Wim Hof. Um, and... I thought, okay, he's coming on the show. I'm going to do cold exposure. Mm -hmm. So I'll do cold showers now because I've struggled with anxiety in my life. Was that your
1: first time doing anything like that? Yeah, I'd never, I
0: I had avoided cold in ways you can't imagine going out of it. I would plan my day around my outfits, everything around making sure that I didn't get cold because I went through a period in my life. I really, really struggled debilitatingly with anxiety. Got it. And the physiological response that I have to cold is identical to the physiological response I have when I'm anxious. So being cold made me feel entirely anxious, like there was no difference. And if I was cold and then put in an anxious situation, I was just a mess. Like Mm -hmm. I could feel the brain leaving my prefrontal cortex, my heart racing, my breathing getting shallow, I was shivering, it was was just really, really nightmarish. And so I had avoided it, avoided it, avoided it, like always trying to just make sure I was always warm rather than inoculating myself, which would have have been much smarter. But so, one, I've, you know, now at the point that I start doing this, I've spent years dealing with my anxiety and learning how to mentally handle it and not being as sort of physically prone to getting myself worked up. Mm -hmm. So... He comes on the show, I decide I'm going to do it. But I only tell myself I think it was like 30 days. I'm going to do 30 days and then that's it. And now it's been, what, almost six months. So because it was hard and it made me feel good about myself, it just made me feel disciplined and tough and resilient. And and I like the the real yeah. things that are happening physiologically. It helped you build your confidence. I don't know that I'll say that it was confidence. That's that's a different region of my brain. But it let me... it furthered my self-respect.
1: Yeah, when people put themselves in situations where they do really hard things and overcome, you know, adversity or just very difficult tasks, like at the other end of it there's a lot of things, there's a lot of those, you know, the, the the chemical reactions that we have and that we experience, but it also shows us that, you know what? Like we are capable. When we commit, when we set our mind to something and we put in the work and back our actions up accordingly, like we can do pretty much anything that we set our mind to. And for a lot of people, like it starts with doing something small, like just start the cold showers, man, Mm. start the cold showers, do that, build that in your routine, then start with the workouts. A lot of, I mean, look, most people aren't going to the gym at all. Right. Even the ones that, that are like, they're going there and what are they doing? Tom, they're, they're going through the motions, right? They're doing, they're doing the least amount of work in there possible Mm. as opposed to, Going in there and just going directly for the thing that they want to do the very fucking least the thing that they feel like if they do it, they're going to look stupid. Dude, that is the type of shit you need to be doing more of. Those are little opportunities that we have every single day to build our mental toughness, to build our discipline and to essentially build our confidence that will allow us to kind of like take the plunge with mm-hmm. other bigger things. And when you're an entrepreneur or someone who has the entrepreneur mindset, dude, nothing is more fucking important than having confidence. Mm. You gotta fucking know that, like, all right, I'm gonna fucking do this. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Because I'm gonna be that much closer to the plan that is. All right. So imagine right now somebody's listening to this, they yep. have zero
0: self-confidence. Mm-hmm. They're a total fucking mess. Yeah. What is your plan? What do you have them do?
1: I would tell I would tell them to get on some sort of diet, right? And a lot of people get overwhelmed because there's so much conflicting information you out there. Why start with diet? Because I honestly believe um, I started oh. alluded to at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the show. I believe that the food that we put in our bodies, and let me also just say that I'm not just saying this because of the nature of my business. Yeah, and I one looking physique in anybody yeah, that takes I this I, has, that has is... nothing to do with physique. But Interesting. A, a so you're not
0: bit. even. So give it to me then.
1: Yeah. So so. I believe that just like the people we surround ourselves with, I mean, which, which dictate our mindset, which raise or lower our standards, I believe the food that we put in our mouth has a very similar effect. Are you talking like on a microbiome level? I'm like... talking about like if we're eating foods that make us feel like shit more yeah. often than not, and our body becomes accustomed to feeling and performing like shit we're not going to go very far. So what are
0: things that make people feel like shit? What is the optimum diet? Yeah, like like,
1: like I mean, look, if you're eating out most of the time, you're eating going to the drive-through, right? Like eating shit that's like like heavily processed things that I mean, look, everybody here knows what's not good for them, right? But convenience is, I mean, in 2019 world, convenience is uh, essentially everything. The the problem with uh, with diets and food in general is it's not something like, you know, when you eat something bad, something immediately bad happens to you, right? Like, you're, I mean, if you do too much drugs at one time, you'll overdose. If you drink too much, you could, you know, end up in the hospital, whatever the case is. Eating bad food doesn't work like that. It's almost like a, like a slow process where your body essentially deals with it for a long time mm. until one day it no longer can. And your body essentially acclimates to feeling a certain way Uh, and you you, again you're not aware of the fact that you're feeling like shit I mean look if you're not eating good right now I would say eat good for one day one fucking day where you eat like clean protein a lot of vegetables drink a lot of water you will feel different if you're eating like shit or not eating well right and you eat good for just one day you're gonna feel different so just imagine like what that's gonna do if that was something that was part of your routine When I started eating good, and again, like my standards and my interpretation of eating good has evolved and continues to. Like in the hierarchy of reasons why I eat good, looking good naked is probably like number four. Like I eat good because I want to feel good. I, I, I try to set my life, my surroundings, my environment, just everything up to optimizing the way that I feel. Because when I, when I'm fucking on, when I'm feeling it, dude, I feel like I can like levitate mountains with my mind. But when I'm not, when I'm around like bad energy or have like just situations going on, dude, like I, I, I resort back to feeling like how I did like when I was a fucking shithead, when I was a punk, when I was running out getting street fights all the time, angry and resentful. So like I'm aware now of how good the body is designed to feel. And I'm also aware that most people live their entire fucking lives not fully understanding it. So if you want to get to a point where you know, you're able to perform your best and feel your best, dude, you, you got to put shit in your body that's consistent with that. And a lot of other things will just kind of organically sort themselves out. So without question, if somebody who was, had no confidence didn't really know where to start, start eating good. And based off that, like you're going to start feeling better. You're going to start looking better. So there's that. That's important. I mean, look, most people, they get up every morning right the first thing that they have to start their day is looking at a reflection in the mirror that physically and mentally disgusts them that's a fact Mm. and now they now take that with them tom for their entire day that energy if if they're not even comfortable and confident in their own skin how on earth can they possibly do like to live their best life and how can they get the most out of the one opportunity that they have on this planet, and it's a it's it's a problem, man. Three quarters of the adult population right now categorized is either overweight or obese for the mm-hmm. first time in the history of our species. The average human's life expectancy is actually going down. Yeah, it's crazy. It well, it's I mean, the the thing that's crazy is we're doing it to ourselves yeah. by the decisions that we're making with the things that we're putting in our mouth. And it's like, look, I mean, I don't want you guys to buy meals for my company and whatever. I just want you to feel good. I want you to do good. I want you to live your best life possible. And I'm telling you that that is not it's it, that's not practical or realistic if you're not essentially optimizing yourself for the outcome that you're after and it starts with things like you know the decisions we make when you know we're uh, we're eating all right so we've got diet
0: mm-hmm. we've got just body composition what else confidence
1: yeah um another thing that I mean, look, like my big thing that, you know, again, it's helped me change my life. It continues to be a a staple part of my day. It's something that I've, I mean, I invest hundreds of thousands of dollars a year into my team is the personal development. Personal development is not like, it's like, okay, if you're going to the gym once or twice a week, are you going to, you're probably not going to get very good results. Personal development needs to not be something that you do some of the time. When you feel like it, when they get the notification that you dropped a new, uh, a new episode, it needs to be personal development is part of the work. In my opinion, personal development is the most important work of your life because it essentially teaches you how to become more effective with the work that you are doing. There are two ways to get better experience, which takes a long time and training and every day. I mean, we have the opportunity to take advantage of all of these resources that are readily available to us, most of which are free in a 2019 world that can essentially make us better, that can help us become like more evolved versions of ourselves and think differently, which again, like as I said, is uh, extremely important to develop that awareness of you know what the path forward will entail. Mm. I love that, man. All right. If people want to dive into your world, where, where can they find you? Yeah. I'm on Instagram at Chris Cavallini. Uh, same thing on Facebook.
0: Um, you again, know crazy? it's crazy. I think we got moving so fast in the beginning of this. I don't think I ever said your name.
1: It's all good. <laughs> so that's, it's all good. Don't worry. It'll be in the, the no, name no, of the it's episode. All good, man. Yeah. Thank you though. Thank you. And uh, I uh, just started a podcast a couple months ago and this is something that took me uh, from the time I started thinking about it to the time it actually materialized full like two and a half years. And again, like, I think the the tie in with that as it relates to what we're talking about is things take time and oftentimes things are going to take a lot longer than, uh, you know, what we want. But, you know, when you stay the course, you stay committed and, you know, you stay true to what it is you want. It will happen. But uh podcast start today podcast. If you're digging the vibe. Um, yeah, I'd love to uh, have you guys listen. Check us out on there and uh, yeah, send us some feedback. Let me know what you think. Awesome man. Well, thank you so much dude, for doing awesome, this, dude. Man. It was wonderful to
0: meet you and to hang out. Yeah, I love the way your mind works. Thank you, brother. Awesome man. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Check them out. You can follow me at @TomBillu. All right, guys. We'll see you on the flip side. Peace out. Thanks, Tom.
1: Dude, that was awesome, man. Thank you, dude. That was, rad. It was a good time.